Back in the days when most of you young people don't even remember, there was actually schools in every little community. I remember when we, we would have our uh, sports events. Man, we thought it was horrible if we had to drive all the way up to Hendricks because everybody else was closer. But it was a lot of fun. We, they called it a district at that time. I guess you'd call it maybe a sectional now. I don't know. But in our district, my senior year, we had a pretty good basketball team. Well-balanced, went about seven deep for a little school. That was pretty good. We were winning most of our ball games, and we were looking forward to playing a team over in Wood Lake. Yes, Wood Lake had a high school. So did Ballatin. And we were going to play Wood Lake, and they had a really good team. They had two, three really good players. But so did we, we thought. And we went over there, and it's a tiny little gym. I mean, on the one side, you got about this much room from the out-of-bounds to the wall. The water fountain actually stuck out over the court. Five, six rows of seats, that's it. And the game started. And this was a big game in our district because we were both two of the better teams. And I don't even remember if we made it to the end of the first quarter. But I do remember the score was 22-2, to and we were two. And if it wasn't the first quarter, it was a timeout. And we were going to the bench, and we hear one of, our te- one of my teammates, his uncle, had driven all the way down from up by Wilmer, and we hear him yell, they can't be that good. And we're looking at the scoreboard thinking, maybe they are. We got in the huddle with our coach, and I'm thinking, what is he going to say now? And one of, our, one of my classmates, I think he was the captain, Craig Rasmussen was his name, Craig, Craig looks at all of us and says, come on, guys, we're still in this. And we're all looking at him like, what game are you watching? We couldn't even get the ball across court most of the time. We got clobbered. We knew early in the game we were not positioned to win this ball game. No way. Was luck would have it, or fate, or the Lord, or whatever. We finished out the year. We had a pretty good record. So did Wood Lake. We won our first rounds of tournaments. So did Wood Lake. Then we both advanced. Guess where we advanced to? playing one another on a neutral site this time. But we had good enough memories to remember 22 to 2. How do you remember? I think God gave me the grace to forget the final score. But that's who we're going to play. But something was different this time. This time what happened was our coach, bless his heart, not knowing what in the world to do different, Contacted a competing coach over in Tracy. At that time, his name was Dale Hatch. Good coach. Tracy was tough every year. They kicked our butt every year. But he went over and met with him. And I think Dale Hatch wanted us to maybe knock off Wood Lake so they could kick our butt again. But for whatever reason, they met and they developed a whole new game plan. A whole new game plan. We were going to bring the ball up the court differently. Different people were going to bring the ball up the court so their two speedy little guards would not steal the ball before we even got across midcourt. Changed our offense. Played a different type of deal. Whole new game plan. We were now entering into that game feeling like we were in a position to succeed. There was enough different. Changes had been made. And we had confidence in the game plan especially because this other coach got involved and our coach was humble enough to let him. We were positioned to succeed. However, being in position to succeed and then carrying out the game plan perfectly 
and ultimately winning the game aren't necessarily the same thing. We can be in position to succeed, and we can still quite possibly fail. I don't remember the final score, but I think we ended up losing by about six points. If you like moral victories, I guess it was one. But the good news was we did not feel defeated. We didn't feel like we'd been beaten. We felt like we started the game in a position to succeed. And being a Christian allows us to be in a position to succeed and to live a life that brings glory and honor to God and to live a life that fills our own lives with blessings. We are put in a position to succeed by the work of Christ. Without Christ and what he did, we're doomed to failure. But as, as in that basketball game or as in life, we can be positioned to succeed, but we've got to carry out some things the right way to actually experience the success and the fullness of that success. God gives us a responsibility even though he has put us there where it is now possible. Before we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we do not have the control that we think we have in the direction our life's going to go. Ultimately, the, uh, the goal is, as a Christian, to live a life here on this earth that brings glory and honor to God, that glorifies him, ultimately. And when that happens, our lives are filled with blessings. Not every day is perfect. Not everything goes smoothly. There are big bumps in the road. But the ultimate goal of being in his presence for eternity is in place. And in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. And he is reminding them, you have been put in position to succeed. Don't go backwards. And look at some of these old ways and these old things because you were defeated. You, don't, you were lost until Christ came along. So we're going to kind of, not going to review much. We, we know from some of the things Matt shared last week that Paul was addressing their false philosophies. Some of them were almost as silly as the ones Matt illustrated for us very effectively. When we put our, 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 our life in some philosophy that's not based on truth, it doesn't matter who you are or what, what century you're living in, it's doomed to fail. The ultimate is failure. But he also spoke about adding all these things, these religious rules, religious activities, phony stuff to our faith, thinking that it's going to help us But what it does is it waters down truth when we start adding all of this garbage to it. So Paul's addressing this in the first couple of chapters, and then he gets to chapter 3, and it's going to change his direction. I'm going to start by reading a scripture that Matt shared. It was the end of chapter 2. They had went through all of these things. He had been explaining to them all that Christ had done. He was reminding them of the foolishness of what they're adding to it or trying to do. And he gets to verse 23 of chapter 2, and he says this about all these regulations and rules that they're trying to add. He says, such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, they might look good, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But the important thing he says is, but they lack 
any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Now, depending on your translations, you might have some wording that's even more clear, but to really simplify it, it's like this. All of that religious garbage and philosophies and all those things you're trying to add, trying to boy, get self-control in your own strength, going to change your life, I'm going to quit doing this, I'm going to quit doing that, none of it's going to work because your flesh is going to win. That's what he's saying. Your flesh is going to win. But there is something that changed. He says, because now you are being put in position to succeed because of what Christ did. You were doomed to death and failure. Jesus came, he died on a cross, shed his blood, he was raised from the dead, and he offers us this gift of salvation. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. The power that created the universe now lives in us. We've been put into this position to live, to win. And he's saying you can win. And what does win look like? It looks like being transformed into the image of Christ and living a lifestyle that brings glory and honor to God. Basically, it's going to come down to this. Who are you and I going to resemble, the world or Jesus? Do the things that we do resemble the world or do they resemble Jesus? Do the things that come out of our mouth resemble the world or does it sound like Jesus is speaking? We have that choice. And Paul is setting the stage, and he's going to lay a basis for the foundation of all he's going to share here in the following verses. Starting in Colossians chapter 1, or 3, verse 1, he says this, Since, then, it's kind of like because, therefore, because none of that stuff worked, because what Jesus has done for you, he goes, Since, then, you have been raised with Christ, past tense. You have been raised with Christ. He says, then set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Past tense. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life? as your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is so much in every verse that Paul's writing in this letter to the Colossians. He says, this is kind of the basis. This is the basis. This is the foundation of why you can win. But there's some things that you're going to have to do. Notice he says, first of all, set your heart on things above. And then he says, just right afterwards, set your mind on things above. And then he reminds us when we're setting our, our heart and our mind on things above, heaven, remember, there's Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father in this position of authority, interceding, intervening, praying for us. Keep your mind set there. And it's interesting, it's kind of a little, well, in the Hebrew, or excuse me, the Greek, it's two different words, the word set. In our English, it says, set your mind, set your heart. But in in the Greek, it's two different words. The first word is zateo, Z. starts with a Z, the way we pronounce it, zateo. And it means striving, to seek, to aspire to. In other words, that's what I want. I want to look up, that's what I want. I want to be like Jesus. I want that. 
And then in the next verse, it says in verse 2, set your minds on things above. It's franeo, franeo, which means to concentrate, to focus your understanding. So it's kind of two different statements making the same point of keeping your eyes on, on what's above, but it's saying focus on it, think about it, have your affections towards it, and then strive to go there. Strive to go there. Same point, greater power when we look at the two words in the Greek language. And it says this focus that we have on Christ, the resurrected Lord, is key. And being submitted to his authority, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in authority. We should be submitting to his authority. That's another way of saying we need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. And doing this allows us, you and me, to live our lives by a power that's not of this world. The Holy Spirit lives in us. As we keep our eyes focused and we do strive, strive. We can't do it our own. That word striving can be kind of, oh, I just got to try harder. No, that, that's not that I'm saying. You don't have to try harder, but you do sort of have to try. You have to do what he's telling us to do. And he says, when we do this, now we're living this life, this world, in this culture, all the garbage that's happening around. We're living in it, but we're not living by our own power anymore. We're not living by our own strength anymore. We're living by a power that's not of this world. He's called the Holy Spirit. And when we live that way, everything changes. And it happened at salvation as far as being put in position to live this victorious life. Past tense. Why aren't we all there? Well, there's some things that he's going to tell us we need to be doing as we live this way. And notice, I don't know if it's still up there. Go ahead and put that verse up there again, would you please? I know there's somebody hiding behind that big screen back there. There you are. Notice where it says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life. Now we can read right past that and go right through it, and it doesn't have the impact that it should. Have you heard things like this or said things like this? Maybe in your own life, maybe in your past, maybe about someone. Music is their life. Sports, God forbid, the Vikings is their life. Teaching is her life. Whatever your job is, I live to party. That's my life. Why do we say those things? Because it's this thing that we know is so important. It's so important. It's like the most important thing in our life. Now, usually when we say it, we're exaggerating. But we say it about so many things. How many times do we say, Jesus is my life? And if I say Jesus is my life, what does it mean? It is the top priority. It is my ultimate passion. It's my ultimate goal. Paul is saying, Christ is your life. He is your life. There's not a single one of us in here that would end up in heaven if it were not for Jesus Christ dying on a cross. He is our life. 
Every breath we take is a gift from Him. He's our life. And when we leave this world, we go into His presence. Because He's our life. When we've been dealt a hand of cards, it's going to look like at times we might lose. But we've won already. Because He's our life. Do we live like He's our life? And that's what Paul's doing. He's setting the stage saying, because this, this is true. If this is true, there's a few things that we need to do. Jesus is our life. He goes on in verse 5, and he says, put to death. Okay, wait a minute. That's confusing. He already told me I'm dead. He already told me I died. But now he's telling me to put to death something. What can he mean? Put it to death. He says, put to death, therefore. Therefore, because you're already dead, put this stuff to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now, we don't know exactly what he means by you used to live in this way. Did they all live those particular things, or is it a bigger picture? We were all living in a defeated life. And the wrath of God, the wrath of God is coming. Does he mean futuristically, or does he mean something as simple as, you know what? If you keep choosing to do that, he's going to let you. And it's going to be destructive in your life. I don't know for sure what it means, but I know it's not a good thing. He says, live by putting these things to death. And he gets specific. Sometimes, you know, somebody points something out and says, you know, Mike, I I think there's a couple of things in your life you need to deal with the Lord on and let him deal with you on. I go, okay, great. Yeah, I will. But somebody comes up to me and says, you know, this adultery thing and this fornication thing and this all this lust thing and the pornography, you need to deal with those. It has a little more impact in my life when they get specific. Paul's getting specific. He's telling it, this stuff's got to go. This stuff needs to die. This is the way the world lives. This is not the way Jesus lives. Choose again. Who are you going to model your life after? What's it going to look like? What choice are you going to make? And he says, in which you used to walk, used to walk the way you used to live. You know, he says, these things... You know, these things lead to death, ultimately. The world may think this is a lot of fun. Our culture is saying, hey, just live free. Enjoy the moment. Don't, don't listen to those people putting all these rules and regulations on you. Don't listen to their morality. Don't listen. Just have a great time. Death. They're proclaiming, live in a way where you're going to spend eternity in hell. Spiritual, spiritual death forever. As a Christian, one of the things that I was going to say cannot, but one of the things that should make us so uncomfortable as Christians is habitual sin. You know, we make light of habitual sin in our lives. You know, I got this favorite sin. I know it's there, but that's okay. The Nelsons have always battled with that. That's not okay, whatever it is. It's okay. It's not hurting anybody. It's hurting you. As true Christians, we should not be willing to let habitual sin reign in our life in any area of our life. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of what it is. It may not look like this group here that we just read. I mean, you know, we could say, count fornication, impurity, lust, 
uh, all of those, not too bad, I'm, I'm okay there. Um, evil desires, craving for the, the forbidden fruit, all, I, I don't, now nah, I'm good, I'm good. Well, Paul says, well, you might be good, but let's go on. There's a few more things you need to remove. And again, he gets specific. He says in Colossians 3, verse 8, but now you must, and again, now you must, must, you, I got to do this, I have to do this. What do I have to do? You have to get rid of some things. You need to take it off. He's using this picture of taking off the old clothing, if you would, the old life, the old nature. And eventually he's going to get to putting on something different. But he says, you must get rid of such things as these. Anger. Rage. Malice or ill will towards other people. Slander or blasphemy. Other people. Filthy language. I don't use the Lord's name in vain, and I don't drop the F-bomb often. Is that the only filthy language? Maybe not. Do not lie. And he says, all these things are evil practices. He says, in Christ, we're supposed to be different people. We're new creatures in Christ, new creations in Christ. These, These things that we might look at as more minor sins compared to the first group he read... There are no minor sins with God. It's sin. And he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices. Again, he says it's past tense. And again, as I read that, it really brings confusion or could bring confusion or at least very good conviction. Um, I've already taken all that stuff off, but you know, I, phew, I still struggle with some of them. There's still some issues. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And then he switches direction. Okay, we've supposedly taken all of this off. We've laid it aside. We're dead. Now we're killing that. He's like separating our spirit from our soulish nature, so to speak. We've died to that old. We're born again. But there's some dead stuff that we need to deal with. In verse 10, he goes on and says, I'm going to read the end of verse 9. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Again, he is... Past tense, which is being renewed. Ah, finally, present tense. In knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no Barian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Taking off the old, putting on the new. Taking off the old, putting on the new. Now, I, I grew up on the farm, farm boy. And all of a sudden, you might be dressed to either go to school or maybe you're going to town or maybe you're going somewhere else. And all of a sudden, Dad says, hey, did you do this? Oh, crap. Oh, crud. Darn. Dang. Shoot. I'm all changed clothes. I'm all cleaned up. No problem. I just went out and put a pair of coveralls. Covered everything up. Went out and took care of whatever needed to be done. Came back in, took the coveralls off. This is not talking about putting on coveralls. Many of us put on coveralls instead of throw off the old stuff. We cover it up. We hope it's hidden from the world. We don't want anybody else to see that, especially Christians. We don't want them to see that. But it's almost like we're deceiving ourselves. We put on these coveralls. He says, no, this is not about coveralls. Take off the old, kill it, throw it away, burn it, let it be dead, let it stay dead. 
Now put on the new. Put on the new. Putting on the new. What is that going to look like? And it says you're doing this as you're being renewed. Now, that's a great word because it's talking about something that's present tense and ongoing. You're being renewed. I'm feeling a little bit of sigh of relief in my own spirit and my soul thinking, okay, maybe we're not supposed to be perfect quite yet because we aren't. But I am being renewed. I'm being renewed in the knowledge and the image of Christ, in image of our Creator. Then there's no biases anymore. You know, this self part of us needs to be continually renewed and refreshed. Can anybody say, yeah, that's true about my life? I mean, constantly. We need it. We live in the world just sucking the life out of us and all the pressure is being put on us to become like the world. It's amazing how much pressure there is. You know, I was thinking about the, 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 the marketing in the, in the business world, watching the commercials. What are they, what are they marketing? They're marketing products to feed your flesh because they know the flesh never's satisfied. I mean, I got a desk full of things that are going to help me lose weight in a minute. And then I buy another one. And another one. I mean, did you know there's a pill you're supposed to be able to take and lose 50 pounds? Trust me, it doesn't work. So I buy another one. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey, I didn't. You didn't need to know how much money I spent. They're in my desk. But they're marketing to my flesh. Might they work? They might if I threw off some of the old flesh and killed a few things that I'm supposed to kill. It's got to happen. In the image of our Creator. And it's worth noting that, you know, in Christ, there are no distinctions between groups of people. Paul makes this out very clearly, again, for the Colossae Church and for us. There's no distinctions. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter slave or free. It doesn't matter what race, what nationality. It doesn't matter of your social or economic stature. It does not matter in Christ. We are all one in Christ. And it's just another area sometimes we need to clean up and kill a few things in our own lives in that regard. And then he goes on in verse 12, therefore again. You know what he's going to lay out? I would call maybe call them the virtues of Christ, the virtues of the new life. What the new life should look like because this is what Christ would look like. And as you go through this, you're going to see whether they word them all in a different order or say use different words slightly. Most of it's really what? The fruit of the Spirit putting it on. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's finally saying, because of all that I've told you, you are able to put on these new virtues. They belong to you. And he starts out by saying, you know what? You were called. You were chosen. In the Father's eyes, you are a righteous and holy people. You have the right, the ability to put on these new clothes, these new virtues, virtues, putting them on. Without going through all of them again, you can see the Holy Spirit in us. We can't do this on our own. but the whole, It's the natural fruit of the Holy Spirit. As we set our mind, as we set our heart, the Holy Spirit comes through in our lives. And we become transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We have this ability because we've been positioned by Christ. And we now have this ability to put these things to death that he's been talking about. And we now have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate and carry the virtues of Christ. That's the new clothing. And he says, put it on. Put it on. And I think, if you're like me at all, you go, God, it sounds easy, <laughs> right? Jesus just did all this. I'm already dead. I've got to kill that other stuff that's clinging to me and cast it away. And the new is already put on me because of Christ. Why is it so blame hard to do it? We are going to all, I think, relate to the truth that it's difficult to kill this stuff and leave it dead. I mean, it's like it's a cat with nine lives. I kill it, I think I got it nailed, and gee, it's like I run over, resuscitate it again, and I go back to this old way again. It's just, Mike, what are you thinking? Why would you do such a thing? It's dead, but it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. We need to have a mindset. If we are setting our mind and setting our heart on the things above, we need to look at these things that are below, the earthly things, as a very, very, very powerful enemy who wants to destroy us, destroy our testimony at least, destroy our lives as best he can. We can't look at them as just little slip-ups. When those thoughts come, we got to realize that that is an arrow from a world that's dead, trying to come and harm us. We need to realize every day, every day, multiple times a day, that these things are part of the daily battle. And every time we're encountering this, we're encountering our old nature trying to get on us again. And I don't mean we're going to lose our salvation. I'm just saying that old soulish thing, with those, those issues, th- those sins are trying to creep back in. Making every effort to respond rightly. You know, it comes back again to take every thought captive. You know, every, every behavior you manifest, everything that you do originates as a thought. Take that thought captive right now and make every effort and not going there. It's not like Jesus. Jesus wouldn't tell half-truths. Jesus wouldn't have ill will towards people he deals with every day. Jesus wouldn't lose his temper and walk in rage 
waiting to boil over just because somebody's irritating the heck out of me. He doesn't live like that. And the words that come out of his mouth give life and edify and build up. He's not cursing. He's not swearing. We need to take those things seriously as an attack from the enemy that we can live this kind of life that glorifies God. And frankly, this is the kind of life that people are going to be drawn to. If we want to know how we can get people to come and ask us, what in the world happened to you? We need to be different. Otherwise, all they're seeing is us putting on our coveralls on Sunday morning and hoping we can fool them. No coveralls so far, but we're getting to the coveralls. As believers, we're not perfect. You know, we will fail, but we confess and know that we've been forgiven. Those sins have already been forgiven. We just need to get back on track. Kill that thing again. However many times we have to kill it, kill it again. Cast it off. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Over and over and over if that's what it takes. A couple of things we need to be doing. One, we need to know the Word of God. How do I take something captive and compare it to what the Word of God says if I don't know what the Word of God is? If I don't know what it says? We need to know that. We need to learn that we have a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us and He speaks to us. And it might be a gentle, soft whisper, but we need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Hear His voice and submit to the authority of Christ in that voice. And then we need to do one of the most painful things, be willing to say to somebody, help me, hold me accountable. I don't want that dead stuff to crawl back on me. Help me. If you see it, help me. Don't just gently laugh and say, hey, come on, that's funny. No, it's not funny. It's the world creeping back on. We need to say, hold me accountable. Go ahead. I would recommend you choose someone you know loves you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good place to start. It's less painless, painful. It's painful, but it's less painful. Let them hold us accountable. Live truly as if Christ is our life. Not just saying it. In verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on the coveralls. I think if you look close, there's a translation that says that. Over all these things. He's not telling you to take any of those virtues off. He's saying, now, now you get to put on the outer cover, the outer garment. And that outer garment is love. That love is what holds everything else together. The greatest of these is love. Walking in love. All those virtues flow out of love. Let the love of Christ be that outer outer garment. Let that love flowing through us be the outer garment that everything else flows through. It's what holds all those other virtues together. The love of Christ. Love for others. And let the peace of Christ, verse 15, reign in our hearts. Here, that word let implies indwelling and controlling. Indwelling and controlling. Let that peace of Christ, let it indwell you and let it derive you, let it direct you. 
the peace of Christ. You know, if we're a sensitive Christian, sensitive to the Holy Spirit at all, and if we're walking in kind of sin, our peace is slipping away. So let the peace of God, this thing just builds on itself, let the peace of God reign in your hearts and show yourself thankful. The peace of God. That word let, again, it's, it's like the, the umpire. Let the peace of God be the umpire in your life. No, we're really good at saying, I have a real peace about that because it's what I want. I like it when God gives me what I want because then I have peace. But we need to let the peace of God reign in our hearts. Sometimes that true peace of God will not reign in our heart until he said no, until you've been convicted, until he's revealed that thing in your life. Lord, I don't understand. I'm just not walking in peace. What's wrong? Mike, why are you worrying? Why are you scared? Why are you feeling the way you're feeling? Do you trust me? Is your faith put in me? Do you think I can't handle it? Do you think I don't know? If my peace is not there, I need to... Lord, show me what it is. The Holy Spirit will show us what it is. He will speak to us. Let the peace of God reign in our heart. Let it dwell in us. Let it influence us. And lastly, in verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father Almighty. Whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord and give thanks. Whatever you do. You know, I have to do a few things I don't like. How about the rest of you? Job, requirements, whatever there are. Sometimes you just got to do some things you don't like. Cindy, we had our our, uh, water softener system was not doing its job. And we had the, a guy come over, and he had to take it and rebuild the whole thing and blah, 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 blah. And we got to pay a whole bunch of money to do that. And praise God, it was wonderful. Peace reigning in our hearts. <laughs> but the guy says, are, are you, is, is Mike Nelson, the, the one who's the pastor, is that your husband? And, and she, she goes, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, give us that discount. No. <laughs> <laughs> I said, their peace would have overwhelmed, wouldn't it? No. He says, is he the pastor over at Victory Church? Yeah. He says, oh, good. I can talk this way around people like you. I want you to know I'm doing this work in your basement, and I'm doing it unto the Lord. I'm doing the very best I can, but I'm doing it unto the Lord. And I know I can say that to you guys because you understand. And I thought, man, alive. What a powerful testimony in our basement by the guy fixing our water softer system. He is doing that job unto the Lord, whatever it is, and giving thanks unto the Lord. So basically, Paul is just saying that, hey, you're already dead, so put everything else to death. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Then, now, change the clothes. Put on the virtues of Christ. You can do this. You've been put in position to succeed because Christ died for you. The moment you were saved, this took place. Now you have to do a little work making sure because now you can make sure it doesn't come back. Before you couldn't. Before you couldn't have won in in this area of sanctification. But now you can because of Christ. And then put it all under the covering of love. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the words that Paul wrote to this church. God, they are such words of life for us here these many, many centuries later. Father, that we would have that realization that when we 
died, Christ died, we died with Him. When He was raised, we were raised with Him. We are new creatures in Christ. We are now going to spend eternity with Jesus. But until that day, until we go home to be with the Lord, Father, we ask for the grace and the power to cast off, throw off, kill those things of the flesh. Father, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you are long-suffering with us and you know we're going to fail. But you're also anxious to pick us back up, get us on that right track. Lord, I pray that we do demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the virtues of Jesus himself. And that everything we do is coming from a position, a source, a reservoir of love. Love for Jesus and love for others. We pray, God, that we would live lives that are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Father, this scripture says that Jesus is going to come back in the fullness of his glory and we are going to come back glorified with him. At that time, we will know Jesus and see Jesus as he truly is. And the world will get a glimpse of who we really are. But until that day, Lord, may we be your people, demonstrating your virtues to a world that's hurting and hungry. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.